0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track
1: Podcast. My name is Mike Janetti. It is Thursday, July 6th. It's a baseball episode. NFL is still on break. Not a lot of noise there. A couple of smaller extensions, a couple of big ones coming down the pipeline. We'll get there probably as early as next uh, next show. But we're going to stick to baseball. It's the midway point. Uh, here's the quick agenda I've got some midseason contract awards to hand out for just a few minutes and then i'm going to bring in cousin dan who's going to break down the major league baseball draft how it works what it looks like this year some of the uh the financials that go along with it, the bonus pool situation some question marks as to why things are the way they are and really run the whole gamut through this thing it's one of those uh i don't know elephant in the room kind of kind of things in sports it's it's lightly broadcast on the MLB network it's in the middle of the season it's kind of buried around the all-star break now And, you know, for the most part, we don't see these guys sometimes ever, but even the superstars for 18 months, 24 months, maybe, you know, a sniff at spring training, maybe a sniff with a September call up, but it's just kind of one of those weird dynamics where 40 rounds of players get drafted and nobody really knows about it. So I want to shed some light on the process. There's certainly some money involved with it and some variations in terms of how the money works. So Dan's got all the breakdown for that. On the backside of this show, let's hand out some Major League Baseball mid-season awards, contractually speaking. I'll keep this quick. I'll keep this brief. This, is, this has absolutely nothing to do with team performance. I'm going to put that disclaimer on the top of this. This is simply about bang for buck, uh, regardless of standings and regardless of where this player might be in a couple of weeks. Because some of these players, I think one or two notably, could be on the move here before the August 1st trade deadline, and that's a good thing because we want uh, contenders to get better. We want this thing to kind of round into form. This is generally the time of the year where people actually start to pay attention to baseball, You know, not just myself, who's been cranking on this thing since March 31st and, uh, and then some. But it's a good time for baseball. Let's talk about some of the superstars that are outperforming the contract they just signed really just a few weeks ago now as we hit the mid-season point. Free aging contracts. Let's go back to the winter. And digest a couple of players who are at least getting their worth, if not more. AL pitcher, best free agent contract to date. I'm going to give it to Nate Aldi. Uh, I should have more Texas Rangers on this list because they are just absolutely going crazy. They don't have a bullpen. And that's something they're going to address in the coming days. I would imagine they're going to give up some, some power, some hits, in order to bring in some backstoppers. And that's probably the way to go here. They, they are absolutely annihilating the baseball. They're scoring runs at a historic pace. That's going to slow down a little bit, or at least the rest of the league is probably going to catch up to them as the, the heat is here and the balls start to fly out of the ballparks a little bit more. But they've got to sacrifice some home runs for some for some late-inning success in terms of their bullpen, and I think that's going to be what happens here. But Ivaldi's been one of those guys. He's kind of covered for certainly Jacob deGrom's absence with his Tommy John surgery. And he came from a weird Boston Red Sox situation. Boston tried to keep him. Texas overpaid him slightly at $17 million a year. It's really a two-year, $34 million contract. There's a vesting option, which looks really good right now, as long as he can stay healthy and get himself the 300 innings here. And uh, he's you know 33 going on 34 here. So it's not like he's in too much trouble in terms of age. He's been making $18 million, $17 million a year now for about five, six seasons. It seems to be the going rate for that second, third tier player. And he's just simply outperformed it. He's had a couple of down years mixed in. But for the most part, it's been a really good half decade for him. And he's on a a, a team that is all in financially speaking. And he's part of that process. I'm going to go off script a little bit with this hitter. Because I ran a bunch of metrics to, to sort of get myself in this in this conversation and, and put, put a list in front of me. It's really unfortunate that Aaron Judge's toe is is impeding his ability to get on the field right now. I'm going gi- to I'm still going to give him the free agent contract of the year in terms of AL hitters at the midway point. And I realize he hasn't played the last 20, you know, 20 games or so and he's not going to play indefinitely at this point in time. The numbers that he was putting up were still outstanding. And they were going to be overshadowed by Otani. And the two of them battled it back and forth last year until Judge got himself into historic number territory and sort of ran away with the belt. But I think we would be back in that conversation right now if he were healthy. I mean, what he did, this guy's still basically top 10 in most of the major metrics, power-wise and war-wise and all that. So it's a shame that he's not out there right now because... We're robbing ourselves of a conversation of another one-two punch. This should not be just about Otani. If Judge is healthy, we're talking about back-to-back seasons with these guys going neck and neck for MVP and all of that conversation—the home run, you know, right—the home run king, everything. So I, I want to give Judge some due here because what he did out of the gate was worthy of, you know, forty million a year, thirty-six million a year was worthy of being in that kind of conversation. He hasn't gone away. And the fact that he's making a hell of a lot of money shouldn't shouldn't thwart people when thinking that he is not worth that money because what he did out of the gate is worth that money. And once he's back, as long as he's healthy, he's going to get back in this conversation, at least on better terms. Certainly not in terms of you know end of season awards at this point in time, but uh, getting healthy, getting right is priority number one because this guy can still do it. Last year might've been a fluke in terms of the volume of the numbers, but... Certainly seems that if, if this guy's on the field, he's going to be at the top of most of these metrics for the next couple of seasons. I've got a value player in, in the American League. I'm going to give it to Kevin Kiermaier. This was a name that Cousin Dan mentioned pretty early on, right? He signed this free agent contract December 10th. It was one year, $9 million, And basically his job was to platoon. He was going to come in and play center field for the Toronto Blue Jays so that George Springer didn't have to. That has been the case. Uh, Springer still got hurt, by the way. But Kiermaier has been lighting up the board. He is built for this current game right now, the speed game. Uh, 10 stolen bases, 11 doubles, a little—you know—a couple of pops out of the power, five triples. He's just doing everything he's being asked of. Uh, he's carrying a war close to three right now at the midway point. Probably going to have more opportunity as we get down the stretch into the dog days. You can't beat the one for nine million for a player who can do a little bit of everything, and and really secures your $25 million player from running into walls in center field, which is what he did basically three years in a row. So we love the signing out of the gate. It has held up. Now can Toronto get themselves in wild card standings? We'll see. But uh, I love the, the value play that Toronto took here really to kind of double up in terms of outfield money. Let's switch to the national league. Again, free agent contracts, best mid season contract of the year. Clayton Kershaw. I cannot believe that's the name I'm giving you for the pitcher, but it has to be. It just has to be. It's a one-year $20 million contract. It sounded weird because he was injured, because he was considered retirement. And yeah, there's a little shoulder inflammation right now. I think he just doesn't want to go to the All-Star game. But also, is a couple of weeks off in the middle of July going to hurt Clayton Kershaw? I know it's going to help him. We've seen a lot of these veterans do this in the middle of the year. He's been absolutely outstanding. He's carrying a two five five ERA. The whip is just at one. He's a three and a half war right now. I mean, I don't know what else you can ask, ask from this guy, 105 strikeouts to the midway point in 16 starts for a 35 and change player who, you know, can still do what he has to do when he's healthy. So hopefully this shoulder flare up is uh, a little bit of a flare up and a lot more rest and that he's right back into it because boy, does do the Dodgers need him. I mean, good gracious. Are they losing players left and right? It's been happening in all season and it's continuing well into July here. So uh, he's been needed. He's been necessary. He is warranting himself another contract if, if he, he wants one. And uh, I'm pleasantly surprised that he is the NL free agent pitching contract at the midseason point. The hitter is a little bit more expensive. I'm going to give it to Dansby Swanson. Uh, the Cubs are certainly falling out of contention as Cousin Dan sort of said they would, they were going to be the, the buzzy team to start and then fall away. Now it becomes, what, what kind of parts do they sell? Because they are invested. You know, they do have some high price contracts on this and Swanson's sort of the breadwinner of that. It's only year one, right? It's seven years, 177 million. There's no opt-outs. There's no options. There's a full no trade clause. So this guy's a cub as long as he wants to be right now. And uh, as advertised, Atlanta knew what they were giving getting rid of. Chicago knew what they were getting. He's going to have 25 home runs. He's going to have 30 doubles at least. You know, the RBIs are going to be somewhere in the 75 to 80 range. And that's what he's going to do, you know. And, and in terms of positional defense and things like that, his war is going to be in the four and a half to fives when it's all said and done. And uh, Atlanta was able to sort of resuscitate that with a $5 million contract. So uh, kudos to the Braves for knowing this was the player you could let walk. Kudos to the Cubs for making him sort of the corner piece to start rebuilding around with a lot of youth talent, because he is uh, holding up his end of the bargain. National League value player, Heimer Candelario. I'm I'm putting the Washington Nationals in this conversation, uh, who have won more ball games than I expected them to at this point. Let's put it that way. And the reason this guy is here is isn't because he's you know, single-handedly winning ball games. Now he does have 12 homers. He does have 27 doubles. So he's he's an extra base machine for a team that's not doing much hitting as a whole. Uh, the the deal is it's one for five million, which you know at the deadline is going to be about two and a half million, if not less. And that's good news for for player for teams that want to throw a, a a third baseman slash bench player down the stretch on their roster, on the cheap, you know, maybe Washington retains about a million of that in order to facilitate the trade a little bit, but they're going to have a couple of players like this with Candelario sort of being at the top of that list that other teams are going to be looking at down the stretch. And that's kind of the point, right? They, They were rebuilding. There's a lot of talent coming in from the trades they made the past couple of seasons. This was sort of a role player. And he has outkicked his coverage and they're going to be able to reward themselves with a nice trade around August 1st for players like this and uh, specifically Candelario himself. Okay. Extensions. This was tough. We didn't have any blockbuster blockbuster deals to deal with. So basically if you've got a deal and you're playing well, you're on this list right now. Pablo Lopez is my AL pitcher. Uh, he joined Minnesota. It was sort of sort of a trade and sign situation. His extension is going to start next year, twenty twenty four, and uh, he's been everything as advertised. Miami knew what they were they were losing. My, Minnesota knew what they were gaining here, and they're going to keep him around for a bunch of years, right? He signed a four for seventy three and a half million dollar extension out of arbitration too. So you're just canceling his last year of control. That sounds about right, you know, about eighteen and change. If he's a number two on this roster that's a value price because you're talking 22 to 25 for that second pitcher right now and 30 to 35 for your ace so i i think this is going to work out for a lot of uh, a lot of people and look at minnesota gained luis ares right the the back-to-back reigning be- uh, champion at the batting in terms of batting average right now if you give a rats behind about that and you know i'm one of those dinosaurs that still do so again Pleasantry on both sides of that trade and Lopez gets himself 70 million plus in the extension and seems to be every bit worth it. Cleveland Guardians middle infielder, Andres Jimenez, former New York Met prospect. The power is not there. So it seems like he's having a bit of a down year, but I think Cleveland's just fine with him lighting up this board. 11 stolen bases, 13 doubles, six pops, 31 RBIs. Their team as a whole isn't scoring a ton of runs like they did in the past couple of seasons. You have to feel that's like that's going to change, and some things are going to turn the corner for this franchise, who's still in wild card contention, by the way. And uh, look, it was seven for 106 and a 106.5. So he's got some work to do, because that's a price that Cleveland pays for power hitters. There's a lot more that has to come here if he's going to match what Jose Ramirez has been doing for a long time in Cleveland, because that's what the price says he has to do. That's just that's just a fact. They don't give these kind of contracts out often. So it was a bit of a eye-opening number when it hit in March. And uh, to see the power sort of deflate a little bit is somewhat concerning, but I have a feeling that all things are going to come together at the end of the day and the numbers are going to be there. National League, another extension that starts next season. Logan Webb, starting pitcher for the San Francisco Giants who feel like they are not being talked about enough. They are ahead of the Dodgers. They are ahead of the Padres. They are vying with the Arizona Diamondbacks for the National League West right now. And oh, by the way, they're a legit contender for Otani next year. So all this good juju that's happening for the Giants can just roll into a negotiation process for the best player maybe in the history of the game. And then what do they look like? right? Then what does this division look like? So it's good to have a, a lot of pieces in place for when you're trying to woo the big superstar. And that's exactly what's happening with san francisco right now both in the standings and statistically speaking uh you know Webb was popped a bunch of years ago for peds he has really rounded into form since then he's everything you need he's the number one option right now you know carlos Rodon left they didn't get aaron judge they didn't get the they were in on a bunch of names this past off season and they're kind of just holding court with a good roster and he's the ace so there's uh, a lot to be said about a player for five years, 90 million. Again, we're at that 18 million per year mark with a player that should be the ace for the next couple of seasons, at least there should be value in that. You get two more uh, arbitration buyout years. So that, you know, suppress the number a little bit. And then three years at 23 million per year in terms of the free agent contract, that should be worth the, pr- the price of admission as well, especially if Otani comes to town this winter. Corbin Carroll, speaking of the NL West, boy, oh boy, this one's going to be uh, one we watch for a while now. An eight for $111 million extension, really uh, before we, we really saw him come to fruition. We saw a couple of ABs in September of 2022 as the big prospect call-up. He's obviously played every single game for this franchise since. And here's the numbers. <laughs> 20 doubles, 18 homers, 30 walks. 24 stolen bases, and he's batting 292 right now with a 930 OPS. He's carrying a three and a half war into the midpoint of the season, and uh, he is not yet 23 years old. So you want to talk about a player that probably should have done, should have waited a year for his contract extension? Maybe, but even if the options are picked up, what we're talking about here is 134 million, and he's 30 years old. I think a lot of guys would say yes to that i get 134 million dollars over the next nine seasons and then at age 30 i get to go back to the open market when who knows where we're going to be on an average salary right will the will the top hitter be at 50 million will the top pitcher be at 65 million at that point it's not inconceivable to, in t- the year 2031 in fact i'm probably lowballing those numbers right there so i like what we've gotten so far can he be a five to a player you know a- after 30 years old We struggle to see players continue to do that, right? But he's pocketing $134 million right now. I'm not going to say that anybody shouldn't say yes to that because that's crazy talk. Players who are about to be free agents, right? Pending free agents. Chicago White Sox, Lucas Giolito. Finally, this thing finally came together. Now can it stay together for the rest of the year? That's the big question mark. Um, It's been a back and forth scenario with him. I feel like he has a good year than an inconsistently bad year. It seems like the pieces are here right now. It seems like the, really the whole team that had an absolutely dreadful start is coming at least closer together, closer to figuring this thing out. And uh, Giolito's in ARB3 on a $10.4 million salary. There's a world where he's right in this $18 million mark that we're talking about with all these other pitchers here, Rivaldi, Logan Webb, et cetera. I feel like that extension could come because Chicago doesn't appear to be giving up just yet and if the wheels fall back off again this season they may trade five or six pieces they may have the most pieces to move out of this roster over the next five weeks and uh, every team in the in the league knows it so uh he's a trade candidate he's an extension candidate he's a run this thing to the table and get myself to free agency candidate but uh he is the al pitcher pending free agent contract that i'm watching the most back to the blue jays for the hitters matt chapman we knew this contract this this was gonna work out when we got here. He's top ten in everything in terms of uh AL batting and things like that. He's gonna find himself some sort of money. I'm not sure that the Blue Jays are gonna be the team to do it, but they should be. But they should be. And by the way, I realize that both from a pitching and a hitting standpoint, the AL pending free agent that to watch is Otani. I'm simply trying to exclude him from this conversation. <laughs> I know he belongs in both categories. I'm giving you some additional names is all I'm doing. National League pitcher, pending free agent, Marcus Stroman, back to the Cubs. Uh, they've tried to talk extension. It didn't go well. Stroman wants to you know, bank this thing out. He's going to be 33 years old here soon. He's got a player option. He's certainly going to punt on that 21 million. And uh, it's not about that that number's too low. It's probably just he's looking for three years fully guaranteed at this point in time, get himself to 35, 36 years old and then see where he can go from there. So I, I don't know if the Cubs have the capacity to bring him back. And if not, he is going to be one of the most coveted pitchers on the open market, without a doubt, this coming winter. And Candelario is that player again, because look, if you got him for $5 million, then uh, what can we do going forward? He's only 29 years old. So is this guy a starting third baseman for an actual contender next year for some team that needs that? Could be. Could be. Could he double his money? Earn himself ten million a year on a multi-year guarantee, and actually join a team that's ready to go at this point in time. Players who need an extension, in my opinion, American League pitchers. Fromber Valdez, the runaway ace of this Houston Astros team. Uh, it's been rookies basically, you know, brought up behind him because of the injuries and things like that. But Valdez has been everything he should be. He has been, and uh, he's having his career best career season to date without a doubt. And the numbers are going to look really, really good at the end of this year. Generally speaking, we don't see Houston, you know, sign players at that top of their game. Uh, he's got a couple more years of arbitration ahead of him. We'll see where this thing gets to. We'll, uh, we know where that number should be, but will uh, will Houston get there? That's the question we have to ask. Adolis Garcia, back to the Rangers. Three straight seasons of 20, 20 plus home runs. Uh, you know, 101 RBIs last year. He's on pace for about a buck 30 this year on this ridiculous Rangers roster. The numbers are outstanding. Career year. It's going to be a career year no matter what happens here the rest of the way. And uh, it's about time with him. 30 years old. He's got a couple arbitration years left. In fact, he's still in pre-arb right now. So three full arbitration years ahead of him. Can they work on some sort of contract to buy this thing out? Get him to age 35, 36 with a multi-year guarantee ahead of him. mentioned the braves they've got a lot of young talent locked up i think bryce elder is going to be the next one to do so former fifth round pick uh brought kind of slowly brought into the game Uh, injuries have sort of expedited his process here he's only 24 and change years old and he's a sub 2-5 era with a over three war in 17 starts this season I don't know what else he can do. I mean, the the Braves just can't seem to miss right now. Every trade they make works out. Every free agent contract they sign works out. And all these kids that they've developed seem to come up and hit the ground running. Now, they've had some swings and misses on the mound. uh, But Elder does not appear to be that kind of player. He and Strider should be the next one-two punch in the National League East. And uh, I would expect extension conversations to be ongoing right now because that's just what they do in Atlanta. And they do it maybe as good as anybody in the league. And I'm going to throw another curveball at you for the National League hitter that I think should get extended. Will Smith. Let's get a catcher in this conversation. Former number 32 overall pick back in 2016 by the Dodgers. Uh, They've locked in a lot of other players. I know that they're kind of saving some tax space for Otani next year. That should not impede them from locking in Will Smith, who will be entering arbitration two this winter. Uh, He's done plenty. 25, 24 home runs a year for the past couple of seasons. He's on pace to do exactly that again. Should be another 80 plus RBI season for him. He's a catcher batting 272 with a with an eight, you know, 75 OPS. He's just doing a little bit of everything. Flies under the radar every single year. This guy should be around for the next five seasons, regardless of whether Otani comes or not. Uh, that's my catcher extension candidate out of the National League. All right. I'll switch gears to the Major League Baseball draft. Who's going to be next? There's some names at the top of the draft. There's a big old signing bonus waiting for somebody. And uh, the bonus slots get really funky as we get into the later rounds of the draft. Cousin Dan is here with all the information about the Major League Baseball draft. Next. Dan Solman is here. It is almost MLB draft time, Dan. For a lot of people, that comes and goes without knowledge, <laughs> right? They kind of bury this draft. Uh, into the heart of the MLB season right at the all-star break um it's not publicly televised like many of these other drafts are and you know in terms of like national broadcast it's on the MLB network but it's important and there's a lot of money involved there's a lot of decision making involved it's not as clear cut as some of these other leagues that have you know a pipeline from A to Z in terms of getting to the professional leagues and quite frankly and this might be the the, the biggest difference that you can elaborate on here right We hear some names get called next week and we might not hear them again for another five years, which is really hard to grasp for a lot of, you know, MLB fans or fans of other sports that kind of, uh, you know, follow these players from step one to the big, to the big show and then kind of root for their prospects. So um, let's start there, Dan. Let's start with just the general breakdown of how this major league baseball draft system works, how it might be different from everything else that we talk about on this show and uh, where we're heading in 2023?
0: <clears throat> yeah, so mo- like you, like you touched on there, most every other draft um, is sort of geared around highest pick is an opportunity to draft um, the mm-hmm. best player or a better player in um, you know sequential order. The MLB draft is very, very different because it revolves around um, a bonus pool system, which is um basically a system that assigns uh, a slotted value to the for to every pick in the first 10 rounds so the mlb draft is now 20 rounds um it used to be 40 rounds prior to covid um 2020 it went down to five rounds and then after that they reassessed 20 rounds was um the most efficient for players teams etc so um it sounds like
1: they got to have their minor league system to account for it right
0: that's correct. Yes. And, um, yes, there's going to be a lot of in uh, indirect, um, yeah. things, uh, you know, attached to that in terms of, especially with like college, um, eligibility rules that change the dynamics within the structure as well. So we're going to kind of see things change here in the next couple of years, I think, but yeah, not, not to, um, you know, I, I, that, that's a pretty important point as well. So um, but now it sounds like it's going to be 20 rounds moving forward. The first 10 rounds are um, a bonus pool uh, or make up a bonus pool. So each of the slots in the first 10 rounds have a, a value assigned to it, similar to the rookie wage scale in the NFL, except um, I mean, Mike, you can confirm this, I'm sure, but I, it, it, does anyone stray from that rookie wage scale in the NFL? Isn't it extremely, extremely rare that anyone doesn't get paid at this point, according to that, that yeah, it, ratio?
1: It's pretty cut and clear. Um, occasionally you get a workout bonus snuck in there that maybe may jump things up and down, but in terms of like, you know, giving a guy less than his slot value because of an injury or an off field, it, that doesn't happen. It, it's, it's pretty much clear cut to the dollar at this, at this point.
0: Exactly. So in in baseball, it's very different. That's, that's more of the slot value is more of um, just a number for the cumulative total of all 10 rounds uh, of the first 10 rounds. And, And it's more of a recommended signing value. So teams, you know, therefore can sign a player for over or under that amount. Um, where it, this gets really interesting is these values aren't, evenly distributed it's very extremely top heavy to the point where um Mm -hmm. you know like the first overall pick um can be anywhere
1: Yeah, we're approaching 10 million here in terms of slot value right
0: coming up right last year was in the eights this year we're over nine million so um we're seeing it kind of escalate quickly here so um the first 10 rounds you take that cumulative total which you, you, a team cannot spend over 5% of that total without, um, without penalty. So the, the nuance here is that the highest pool and the lowest pool, there's a huge gap in between those. These are not, these are not close, um, margins, if you will, um, in the 2023 draft upcoming, the pirates have the highest bonus pool, which is over $16 million dollars. The mm-hmm. lowest pool is the Phillies, which is $5 million, just over an $11 million spread there. So um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the numbers being floated around, you know, in free agency, et cetera, 11 million spread is not that much of a difference. But when we're talking about small margins here within the actual draft, um, those can get utilized. Uh, it, those can strategically be utilized. Um different ways by different organizations so and just to um, jump
1: in dan because you mentioned uh you know there's the bonus pool for each team and you mentioned there's a penalty if they go over uh can you establish those penalties i know there's some financial pain and then eventually gets to losing future draft picks and stuff right
0: uh, correct. Yes. I don't have the exact numbers, but it is, a, a, um, a penalty. And if you go it, really the the first threshold is not that big of a deal. Yeah,
1: I got a 75% tax bill is what it is on, on any overage that you have. So I, I think you're going to see teams continue to do that because that's just money, you know?
0: <laughs> right. And 75% on a million dollar overages yes. in the scheme of things for a yes. team, in my opinion, is not that big of a deal, but within the context of draft totals, draft pools and amounts. I I understand why teams don't want to do it. I just think that it is a, it's sort of a overhyped barrier, if you will, sort of like this. We see this with the luxury tax. We, you know, personally don't think that the first threshold is really all that, you know, penalizing, but, Mm -hmm. um, once you kind of in this
1: case, Dan, if you, if it, if it allows you to sign more draft picks, all you're doing is paying a little extra from, for value. I mean, these, you know, this is where all your value lives right now. So it's not like blowing over the second luxury tax apron because you're bringing in Otani at 60 million a year. It's you're trying to sign a second round pick at a four million dollar slot. And if you got to go four point five million to get him to do so and it puts you over the over the the bonus pool threshold, it's still worth it at the end game. You know
0: what I mean? Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. So I think that's a shift that we might see in upcoming years. Maybe teams are a little bit um, more inclined to go over that 5%, 5% threshold, but um, that's TBD as, mm-hmm. um, as we work through this. So um, I can't stress this enough though, the top top of the draft in terms of like the first five picks is where a lot of this money lives yeah. um, to the point where those picks, it's almost difficult for these teams to, um, pay them full slot without just continuously setting records. Um, for instance, the signing bonus record um, was in 2020 with um, Spencer Torkelson, who was the first round or the first pick of the first round. He signed for um, just over eight point four million, which was just a thousand dollars over slot to give it some context. Um, mm-hmm. but that was the record. so now we're talking about you know we're well over nine million dollars <throat> in terms of the first overall pick it's it's almost it's almost impossible that that player is going to sign um for that full slot amount and if we look at this across the last the first five picks for the last five drafts so 25 picks total 18 of those picks have signed at or below slot value Mm. um only seven of them were over slot and and like one of those was spencer torkelson only a one thousand dollars over slot value so um I mean, just, how about
1: this last year's draft? I'm quickly going backwards in our draft tracker, Dan. Last year's draft maybe maybe is the best example of what you're saying ever, right? the 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 slot for the number one overall pick to what was the Baltimore Orioles last year was about 8.8 million. The second overall pick was about 8.2 million. The second pick came in at slot, right? The, the Arizona Diamondbacks signed Andrew Jones, kid, to 8.2 million ish, and and then in turn, Baltimore said, "Well, we're not going 8.8." On our pick, you know, we're not going seven hundred thousand more than that. They brought them in at six hundred dollars over the number
0: two slot. More
1: exactly. So, so seven hundred grand under slot value, which helped them down the line with their other draft picks, but just six hundred dollars more than the number two pick. So basically, what what the Baltimore Orioles said there is screw this major league baseball system, you know, screw the slotting thing, whatever whatever you believe we should be doing. We're we're going a hair, a hair over in the number two pick and nothing more. And you there's nothing you can really do about it. And And the agents aren't winning that battle right now, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So just to put that even, you know, just to elaborate and put that even into further context, they, so the Orioles essentially got, I mean, it was Jackson holiday, drew Jones. It was one, two, it was pretty much just,
1: there was no clear cut slam dunk. Number one pick. Yeah, that's right.
0: Right. And so the Orioles though, just straight up saved over half a million dollars of bonus Mm -hmm. pool money on that pick when really it was kind of a coin flip in terms of who they wanted. Now, maybe they always wanted Jackson holiday. Maybe that was always going to be the pick. Um, we'll never know, but just, just in terms of the bonus pool structure, they have a half over a half, you know, over $600,000 more, um, money to play with now in their remaining bonus pool to use further on down the line. Um, so and that's where i want to get to that is not even like a portfolio approach um Mm. specifically like we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later but the orioles that was just the i I, i'm gonna say it again and repeat myself it's very hard to get the number one pick at full slot value there's no way you believe
1: that that pittsburgh's paying nine seven this year right there's no way you think
0: that exactly that's the thing so even if they take the best player available he maxes out sets a new record i would be shocked if Mm -hmm. that number is um you know is that is at 9.7 this year so don't you think that's uh, probably
1: what the what the uh, negotiation is is all right torkelson's 8.4 is kind of the the top of the mountain that's where we have to get to if we're if we're the number one picks agent right now and there's some controversy on who that's going to be anyway so I, i i agree with you i think too much is made about the slot and the actual pools themselves, because, and by the way, nobody knows this more than you as a Cleveland fan who manipulates the draft pool system, maybe more than any team in, in the league. It's not about one player. It's about 10 and it's about properly allocating. And it's, and as you're going to get to, it's about, you know, college discounts versus Academy players versus where we have to get to with all these variations of players that come into the league and come into the system. But it's, It's so different, Dan, you're right, because living in the NFL world and now in this NBA world, which has a very similar rigid system, you know, there's a there's a threshold. There's kind of a range with the NBA rookie contracts, 80 percent to 120 percent. They give you the they give you the 100 percent slot value and teams can either come down to 80 percent of it or up to 120 percent of it. Uh, And we actually just had that discussion with Keith Smith yesterday on this. So um, it's fresh in my mind. That's a little bit more what baseball is doing here, you know, And, and I wonder if you dug more and maybe you have. Is are there percentages that teams kind of follow, right? So if we're talking about the number one pick at nine seven, is the general mindset that, you know, we're take we're, we're gonna take 25% off that number immediately, and that's more more of where we're talking about. Or do you think it, it happens more like it happened last year, which is all right, the gap between one and two is this. You know, there's a number we're willing to go to, we, to, to trim ourselves down so that we're not eight hundred thousand dollars more than any other pick in this draft. Um, I I just wonder what, if there's any kind of trend to the variations of these slots, or is it truly year by year, team by team based on, and, and by the way, it all happens after the fact, right? You make your draft picks, you see what you have, you know, that your third round pick is going to be a pistol to sign because of this, the circumstances and the first round pick is just going to have to compromise because of it. Right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So to answer your question both i think is right it's it's kind of a circus yeah It's a move it's a moving target um it's definitely a moving target in terms of in terms of that so um yeah to even like to even further highlight you know like the the gap here um the total of all slots in the for in in the first 10 rounds is is just over 307 million dollars The first round values this year, I am I'm using 28 slots for this. I'll explain that after it's 140 over 142 million, which is 46% of the Mm. entire draft pool. So 46% of the entire draft pool, the slot values is in the first round. So, um, that's what I'm saying, and, and just to even jump down further, um, you don't you hit the million dollar threshold at picks between pick seventy two and seventy three, um. So like, and and the last pick in the tenth round is a hundred is just about a hundred and sixty five thousand dollars. So that's what I'm saying. Like once you get into the later rounds, if you're going a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars overvalued to to you know pay some of these picks, um, you know that's not a large chunk of your million dollars you just saved or, sure. um, $2 million you might've saved on that first overall
1: pick. Right. right. So, so I don't know what they did last play. year, essentially signed their last four picks for them by trying yeah, the holiday
0: slot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I keep alluding to this portfolio approach. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, so there's some discussion this year. Now, if the pirates are going to truly quote, take the best player available, or Mm -hmm. if they're going to do what they've sort of done in the past and taken a portfolio approach. What I mean by that is um, a a specific example um, that we're kind of seeing play out right now. The 2021 draft, the pirates were the first overall pick. They took Henry Davis, who was a catcher, uh, a college catcher, right? College players tend to have less um leverage especially if they're seniors obviously because they can't go back to college they don't really have a lot of options Um, i'm not saying that's the case here but there were players that uh, um rated a little bit higher than henry davis that the pirates probably could have taken and paid almost full slot value instead they they took henry davis um paid him almost $2 million under slot and then took, and then used that savings on their next four players. They took four high school players um, and they took all of them over slot to different, to different degrees. But the, the next three picks were drastically over slot. Bubba Chandler, I think was like uh, their third round pick was like $3 million over slot, $2 million, something like that. Um, which is significant for that late in the, in the, in the draft. Those players then translated to uh, Henry Davis is currently, I mean, he just got called up, but currently their second overall or their second um, second ranked prospect. And then the next three guys um, are all in their top 12 prospects. So you can just kind of see the payoff there of taking this portfolio approach, punting um, on the first player, maybe taking a slightly lesser player and using that savings down the line, um, you know, <clears throat> to to save further. So
1: I did some, uh, I did some quick, really, you know, dirty research here as you're talking, because I, it's not talked about enough in this league. What you're alluding to is there's not this huge, gigantic rush to get the best player available in the first round. And that's been the case forever because what you're talking about, this is a portfolio approach, that's it's volume. It's not, it's, it's, it's quantity, not quality for a lot of these teams. It really has always been for the draft. Because this is not the only way to find a player, you know, especially with the international boom and all that stuff. So, how many teams in the league right now, active 40 man rosters, Dan, have 10 or more first round picks on their roster? What's your guess?
0: Three. <laughs> is it? It's like
1: it's six. Here's the name there's the, the team with the most, and this surprised me because I felt like they're built more internationally than anything. Is the white Sox? the white Sox have 12 of 40 first round picks the cubs the reds the tigers the angels and the phillies all have 11 and that's it everybody else is under 10 out of 40 first round picks on their current roster in other words it's either coming later in the draft it's coming internationally and for a lot of, right now it's undrafted right it's just flat out we're just picking these guys off the streets and making it work in minor leagues um so that The first round pick, in my opinion, has been heavily devalued in this league. And what you're talking about here with sort of the financial finagling is becoming good business, even if, you know, drafting a great player, number three overall at a $7 million slot might pay off every now and then. But it doesn't every time, does it? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, just the number one overall picks alone, the the amount of busts we have at that, right, is, is troubling, really troubling. If you look back just 10 years, you're going to find, five guys that you might not even know yet because they'd never hit in the major leagues. It's, it's becoming a weird situation. Do you think that one hand is feeding the other here? Do you think that teams are sort of automatically punting on that pick, taking gigantic risks there with high ceiling, you know, players that they can get lower slots at that have red flags built all over them so that they can spread their pull out a little bit. And if it hits, it hits. And if it doesn't, we'll deal with it. You know, there's a lot more second round picks in this league right now than first, a lot more. And I think that's speaking to your point is let's push, because the second round slots drop off like a cliff. You know what I mean? So you're not dealing with $5 million, $4 million slots in the second round. And there's a lot of competitive balance picks, you know, sort of the compensatory picks that get thrown in there. There's just a lot more volume rounds two through five. And I feel like that's where the the, the bulk of Major League Baseball is coming from right now. It's not the first round.
0: Yeah, it's a good, point i definitely think that's common at the top of the draft i think that a little bit of that is just the inflated slot values
1: and teams are are saying no no thank you right
0: yeah right right i mean i i I don't think we're um i think they want to incrementally set um records if you will signing bonus records like i mean like the torokleson record was 2020 theoretically you know if we're operating under nfl standards next man up gets paid the next highest amount so we should have seen records in 20 you know in 22 in this year again sorry in 21 2 and again this year so um yeah i
1: and by the way the the conversation on Spencer Torkelson right now is is he a flat out bust (laughs) that's what detroit's talking about right now so it's it's that's how quickly An $8 million bonus goes by the way fight. Yeah. Yeah. It's quick. It's quick and dirty in this league right now. So it's, it's, it's difficult. And those kind of stories are why we are where we are. It's why teams are saying, let's just take something else. And and, you know, let's not have to pay eight let Let's pay four and just go with it.
0: Right. So it's definitely easier to do that though. Like we were just saying at the top of the draft, it really makes what the Dodgers have done over the last decade plus um, all that more impressive. They're constantly operating with small bonus pools, but their scouting department is able to find these guys. Um, they're able to float certain guys down their board, um, to a point that they can get them, um, at a price that they want. So yeah, there's a lot of jockeying with this. Um, it's very unique, uh, compared to all the other sports. Um,
1: Is it a good system still? I mean it really wasn't touched in this latest cba it wasn't even a discussion point there were some minor things on the outside or you know some cleanup stuff but the the slot stuff the the i mean they truncated the draft which i think had to happen the 40 rounds was just ridiculous um but other than that the the system pretty much stayed intact do you think it's a it's a valid system for this league still dan
0: i I, that's really tough to that's really mm-hmm. tough to answer. I like in terms of things that really gross me out about it. um, Like I have it here in our notes. Some players are signed for as low as $1,000 something about dedicating your life to a sport you're you know multiple years you get drafted your lifelong dream and your your signing bonus is a thousand dollars maybe there's minimums um that we that get incorporated at some point i don't know maybe that's just a personal um thing that i have but stick with the dodgers
1: man stick with the dodgers tony gonsolin a legitimate starting pitcher was drafted in the ninth round that's not slouch that's a ninth round pick in the major league baseball draft to the los angeles dodgers he got a $2,500 signing bonus $2,500 as a ninth round pick and he's and he's going to get finally his big contract now, if he can get healthy. Right. But that's, that's how quickly this thing falls off a truck to your point.
0: Yeah. It's love And it's just leverage. Like we talked about you. Yeah. I, I don't have the details on it, but I assume he was, uh, uh drafted as a college senior or, um, Saint like uh, you got it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's really most of what I have. We're, we're just seeing different levels here. Um, well, to let's, the talk, draft about, let's and how, talk
1: about that side of it, man. I know you got some, some thoughts on that or some, some, some data on that. What's the difference between a player coming out of high school, coming out of Academy versus, you know, a, a three or four year player at a college entering major league baseball's draft. How do those affect the bonuses and the slots and things like that?
0: So it, it just in a vacuum, if you want to think about it, co- high school players um you know bona fide star players mm-hmm. you you can typically see those traits early on in life um guys like drew jones um mm-hmm. jackson holiday uh, players drafted out of high school it's pretty obvious they're destined for uh, to you know to at least play in the mlb and we'll mm-hmm. see what happens um beyond that so but there's a ton of risk in, in terms of drafting a, an 18 year old who might, like you had alluded to earlier, we might not hear his name again for five years. Oh, um, yeah. A lot can go wrong there, especially with, with pitching prospects. So um, it's very, it's very rare to see pitchers go super high. Um, particular, I, I think there's, yeah, never been a right-handed, um, prep pitcher drafted one, one, um, there have been lefties, but so, yeah, I mean, college players that enter the draft early could theoretically go back to college. They have leverage in terms of, um, signing bonuses, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sorry. To your original point with high schoolers though, that's the thing is that they, if they get drafted to a place that they don't necessarily want to get drafted, um, and they they have college leverage they're going to a college they want to go to um they don't necessarily need to sign with that team now we don't really see that happen anymore on um, both sides typically know that the, the signing demands or um intentions going into this so typically players who have a strong college commitment um will get drafted outside the bonus pool rounds because then it's kind of a risk-free signing if you will so mm-hmm. um Yeah, there's a ton of dynamics. I'm probably butchering some of them too or forgetting about some of them. I mean, mean is
1: there there a discussion about mileage and players that have, especially pitchers, that have put four years of college on their arm and then try to come in the league at age 22, 23 and and, and immediately hit the ground running? Is is that happening right now? Or is that maybe an old thought, an antiquated thought because of these injuries popping up really, no matter what the heck happens to these pitchers, right? I don't, where are we with that is it is it a better risk to pull a guy at 17 out of high school overpay him a slot value to get him not to go to college and try to throw him in the system immediately right now is that still the way to go or is there something to the pedigree of coming through college baseball
0: um man that's like a super yeah I uh, know. that could probably be answered a million different ways just player every, G, every gm probably
1: has a different interpretation of that right now right
0: Yeah, and certain organizations are specifically better at developing, you know, prep pitchers or hitters versus not, um, you know, every organization has its strengths and and weaknesses here. these drafts usually don't go by need. Like we don't see a team say, "Well, we need a pitcher, so we're going to draft a pitcher." Because you don't see that turn out for multiple years down the line. On the flip side of that, that's we fascinating,
1: are- right? We do all these mock drafts in these other sports, and we try to find the inside linebacker for the Chicago Bears and yada yada. Right? I mean, it's it's we don't have that in baseball. Everybody's draft shortstops and pitchers and converts them into different positions down the line, right?
0: Yeah, shortstop, outfield, pitchers. It's yeah. um, it's definitely a common a common theme. So. Yeah.
1: So yeah. So again, though, where do where do you you stand with college baseball? It's it's kind of a booming industry, right? I mean, the television networks love it, and there's I think there's a real following behind it right now, especially in some of the bigger conferences. But are those players translating to quality MLB
0: careers? Oh, I think so. I think you can definitely. um, There's definite value with these players going to. You know, players that are not drafted high. Sorry, high school players not drafted high that aren't, you know, offered big signing bonuses. Absolutely. I think there is a a big path um, for, you know, players to go and develop in, in college. But I mean, there's also value in organizations getting their hands on players early and doing what they, you know, tinkering how they want. Um, but that could also be detrimental. We see that with certain yeah. organizations who just yeah. butcher this. So I, it, it's just like the quarterback conversation in the NFL landing spot matters so much. Um, within the structure of the draft, it's just how these teams operate and add talent to their organization and then develop it from there. I mean, that. but the draft is definitely only one part of it. You can operate flawlessly, like the, like the portfolio approach I laid out for the Pirates that, that could work well, or that could be awful. We have no idea if these guys are going to work out or not, but I like the concept of take, you know, multiple bullets in the chamber, um, rather than over, you know, overpaying for, um, a specific, a specific
1: quantity, not quality at some point. Yeah. Um, two more things here. You mentioned how many of these college players are thrown out of the top 10, get them out of the pool, throw them in that, hundred twenty five thousand dollar bonus slot, just get them in the system and uh, you know, they'll get they'll pay eventually if they can stick. If I'm a college player, if I'm a junior and I know that's where my destiny is, right? That's what my agent's telling me, blah, blah, blah. Does name image and likeness change this this thing quite a bit now? Like if I'm a, if I'm playing for Florida or LSU or UCLA or one of these powerhouse teams, And I'm going to get pushed out of the top 10 because of my status right now, because of the way that this slot stuff works. And we see good players, you know, get, become 11th and 12th round picks that the 11th, the the 11th round college run in every major league baseball draft is hysterical. You're going to see like 11 to 12 um, pitchers in a row pulled out of college teams. And a lot of those players don't sign. And I think that might increase, Dan, and that might increase because of name, image, and likeness there. There's a lot of money to be made out there on these college campuses right now in prominent positions in prominent sports so i wonder if that's going to affect this process right now and if major league baseball teams may have to think differently just to get these guys in their system in their pipeline in their academies in their development programs versus staying at college um your thoughts on that and can you can you extrapolate on a player gets drafted hates the team or hates where he got drafted Decides not to sign. What is that player's options now? Can he go back to college? Can he go to college if he's not yet been enrolled? What what happens to an unsigned or an unsigned player that just doesn't like the situation with their draft pick?
0: Yeah. So. Um. I forgot part a of that already, but, um, yeah, the,
1: the name image and likeness stuff is, do you think Oh, name image like
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it will, to some degree. I don't know how prevalent that is within college baseball. Like I feel like there's so many players, but I'm probably butchering that to some degree though. I think there is value. Um, mm-hmm. there, there has to be some value with that. Right. Um, in terms of draft players getting drafted now, like we talked about earlier within the bonus pool rounds, like it's very rare. We see only a handful of yeah. players at most each Tenet year, not yeah. sign. And I like over the last couple of years, most of those have been due to physicals. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of the later rounds though, there is still some jockeying, if you will, um, I guess I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but like for instance, Adley Rutschman was was um he's from Oregon. He was drafted by Seattle um four years prior to when he was drafted by the Orioles. Um, but he was drafted in the fortieth round. Now my assumption there, I don't know the in, inner workings of this, but I assume that that was more of like a kick the tires draft pick. We know you're not, we know you have a strong college commitment. We want to get you in the door, have a conversation, exchange numbers, whatever, whatever, however you want to put it. Um, but there, I am assuming that there was zero intention of him actually signing um, with the Mariners right. a, at that point. Um, now, is that a, that, that's not to say the player hated that or didn't want to go there, even if they blew him off, you know, even if they gave him a big signing bonus though, he was probably a guy who wanted to go to college. Um, he went to Oregon State, hometown kid, um, so he had a strong commitment there. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I just don't want to say player hates hates destination, wants to to leave. So, but there are options. Like we see this, we see high school players get drafted in the last ten rounds. Um, mm-hmm. They can drastically improve their stock by going to college. Um, But, you know, maybe there is a scenario where, uh, like hypothetically, like the Mets, when they got, like they drafted Kamar Rocker with the intention of signing him. They liked everything about the player. They look at the physical and they say, no, thank you. Now that alone changed the rest of the outcome of their draft, the pool that you don't sign that player, you lose that pool money. If you if you intended to overpay Kamar Rocker, now you have a bunch – sorry, overpay compared to the slot value. Now you suddenly have extra money to spend. If you under, intended to underpay him, you are suddenly short money. Um, but if you do have extra money, then maybe you say, well – this player who like maybe that Adley Rutschman type who had a strong commitment instead, now we're going to dedicate, reallocate that extra money we have to you, a player who did not expect to get a big signing bonus. And then maybe there's a chance that that player breaks his college commitment and and signs with the team. Did I lay that out correctly? Or it was, no,
1: it's good. And there's a lot of variance to that. I I still think as you're talking that, High school player X, who's coming in, and and the Cleveland Guardians are going to try to underslot him, because that's what they do, right? They 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 pull from fourth and fifth round picks to be able to pay the second round pick higher higher slot and things like that. There's a lot of finagling. I still think there's going to be a situation where a PR person attached to this high school player is going to say, "Look, I got two hundred fifty thousand dollars guaranteed for you in college at name, image, and likeness, guaranteed. Okay, I got this sponsorship lined up, this sponsorship lined up because they're connected to the college that you that you want to go to." I still think that's going to start to affect things. And I don't know how it wouldn't because maybe the baseball teams have been lowballing these bonuses for, for three decades, man. And that it hasn't caught up. And the rookie wage scale hasn't really taken its step forward. Like it should have the top five picks have exponentially increased and everything else has fallen off a cliff and maintained at that price. And I think if I'm a ninth round pick and team X is trying to screw me like they've done for forever and that's what they're going off of, it's kind of like the PGA tour, right? We're just going to keep doing what we've been doing for 40 years because who's telling us not to? Well, I think name, image and likeness is here to say this is why you guys have to start getting your ass together with this stuff because Gatorade is attached to UCLA. I, I don't know if they are. I shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> but There's a $10,000 check waiting Waiting the second this guy walks into the door and enrolls to UCLA to play baseball. So I, I just think that stuff's going to have to change. And the days of Anthony Gosselin's $2,500 bonuses could be coming to an end. Because of college pressure,
0: yeah. So when I when you lay it out like that, I I understand your intention a little bit better. That I I do do agree with that. If the numbers are if the if the NIL numbers are comparable to these late round signing bonuses, I totally agree. These players have nothing to lose. Even you might even see pooled like uh, funds that go to the lower. You know, like there will be stars within teams, but maybe like in order to. To garner, you know, to gain a little depth instead of having one or two players sign with nil agreements, maybe you get like some sort of funding that you know.
1: Well, let's talk about it. There's all these programs in place now, right? That basically invest in you as a draft pick, right? And try to pay your way, and pay for your training, and pay for your equipment, and pay for all this nutritional stuff, and then own a portion of your first extension, right? They own like five percent of your contract extension. So why would players pay that price? When they can go to college you know what i mean or go to academy ball and get garner their own sponsorships legally with really no rules it's kind of rogue and look i'm not here to say that the right fielder for college x is making any kind of really good money i understand that this is a football basketball situation first and that you know baseball players generally speaking at college aren't going to be pulling in huge money but if you're a prospect you know what I mean. if you're a guy and you don't like the way that this draft rolls out i think we might start seeing more unsigned situations i think we might i think that might pick up steam a little bit if the fit's not there if if my agent is telling me look the you know the oakland i shouldn't say oakland i give me a give me a team give the los angeles angels have drafted you as a starting pitcher it's not a very good path towards development (laughs) let's be perfectly frank the track record of you developing in their system is not good Go to college. Go to assist. Go to a college that has a great track record of pumping out pitchers. Make some money there. Then you don't have to worry about where your slot ends up in the draft the next time around. And we'll get to us get ourselves in a situation that that makes your career look better, right? I, I just think that 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 conversation has to be happening right now more than ever.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. I I, I mean, we've seen some waves get caused here with the whole transfer transfer portal stuff Um, that's another part
1: of it they can go wherever the hell they want to go dan that's another part right
0: right so we're going i mean i i don't make this i don't mean to make this like a generational thing we're just seeing like the new generation of player be willing to um try and maneuver yeah. themselves into the best situation possible is, yeah, and, and they and, should in and a lot joining of, cases, one of the worst should.
1: teams in major league baseball might not be the best approach for them even though it is the big leagues you know
0: right which i mean like just to kind of lead into a little bit of current draft talk there, like so there's two players at there's a consensus top top five entering this draft there's really a top two players um most most people consider dylan cruz lsu outfielder who um was on you know on the main stage in the College World Series, they uh, many people consider him the top prospect. Now Pittsburgh is um, has the first overall pick. There's a lot of discussion about if and whether they will just say we have not developed a stud pitcher in so yeah. long. Do we just take Paul Skeens with that first overall Skeens. pick? Put
1: your money on Paul Skeens, Dan.
0: <laughs> I know. So, but it's a really interesting dynamic here because. Um, I mean, this is an organization that has countless times, butchered pitching prospects. Yep. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to continue to do that or uh, make any assumptions here. It's just really interesting on how they're going to maneuver the top of this draft where many people think Dylan Cruz should go one, one. Um, mm-hmm. but a number of people think Paul Skeens is the best, um, prospects specifically college prospects since Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg. So, um. If you can get him in-house, like how else are the Pittsburgh Pirates going to – acquire and slash develop a bona fide ace, um, mm-hmm. you know, in their window that they want to develop it, I mean, nobody might, sign. there's a really good chance. They're never going to do that in free agency and where else are you going to be able to, um, you know, draft and develop a top end pitcher. So that's kind of what we're seeing. Uh, I just wanted to point that out, alluding to your, you know, we, these cer- certain organizations that might, um, fail with specific, Manoeuvre yeah types of players
1: Yes. Yeah, so. one, one last question and it's completely objective but I, I i love to ask this question to as many people as possible especially right now with baseball having to change so many things just to gain some more popularity get some more eyeballs on it keep themselves relevant i mean they're a distant third right now in american sports in terms of the top four right they're a distant third why are we still at a point where where major league baseball draft picks can't be traded? I, I can't tell you how much more interesting baseball would be if you could trade draft picks. Do you agree with that? Just just the conversation you just had. Yeah. Don't you no, think, I, don't you think Pittsburgh and the Nationals should be talking about a one-two swap right now?
0: Yeah, I do agree. I my pause was trying to to mentally consider multiple dynamics with that. But yes, I I okay. like overall, I think they could make this whole process a little more entertaining. Like the fact that yes. I I have done um, an insane amount of work with MLB draft stuff, and I still have to like really sit down and think about all of the the dynamics at play with each and every a, a, any yeah. aspect of the MLB draft has um, a ripple effect on some other part of it. So e- even somebody like myself who has looked at and processed a lot of this data it still cha- is challenged by it a lot of times. So the gen- my point is the the general fan there's like almost no way that they're that they're gonna. Es- a, understand this at baseline which is why we're trying to put some tools in place to help um you know simplify that for people but yeah it's very difficult and um that like that might be one simple change where they you know you can change you can trade slot values so that if um the pirates don't want to deal with that choice at one one they can trade out of that or if the if the dodgers really want to get in in you know Flip some of their four, their deep forty man um mm-hmm. roster to to try and acquire you know a, a pick with a, a higher value. I'm looking at this way, right, reader. like,
1: like. Ota- let's just say Otani were to get traded. You know, maybe it's a bad example because he's on the expiring here. Let's say let's say Juan Soto were about to be traded. He's got two years of term left. He he'd be a max trade value player right now. Teams are lining up former first and second round picks, right? AB prospects to to put together a package for Juan Soto out of San Diego, right? That's how this works. So you're telling me that it's perfectly fine to to, to trade a already established first round pick, right? Maybe even drafted six months ago, right? That's fine. But you can't draft a future first round pick for Juan Soto. That baffles me. Now I know the reasoning. I, I know the elephant in the room reasoning. And the reasoning is... Miami and Tampa and Kansas City and Oakland getting any kind of player never never paying an actual player trading that player in year two of arbitration for three more first round draft picks and never actually having to pay because there's no floor there's no establishment and ever having to pay a dollar into this league there could be teams that literally never pay a veteran salary ever 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 if they just keep rolling over arbitration talent into into future first round picks. So you'd have to establish some rules, whether it's some sort of salary matching situation like basketball has, where you have to bring back a semblance of a percentage of what you're sending out, right? If an arbitration player is worth $15 million, you have to bring back at least $11 million of salary in the trade along with picks so that your, your payroll at least establishes itself somehow. That's, that's why this isn't happening back in the eighties, Dan, when teams tried to do this and they just loaded up on, sending out fat contracts for draft picks and things like that. That's why it's never going to be the, the way, the way it is. But I do think if baseball needs to generate more interest, this is one pretty easy fix because this is a June, May, June transactional forecast prediction, right? How many, how many, how many situations would we be into right now? If you could trade draft picks, if you could trade the number eight pick, it's just something that every other league has that baseball will never have, you know, the talk about well, swapping and- in and out and up and down and and what could otani get could otani get the fifth pick in the draft right now? probably for the angels right they could probably do that so i just think they're missing big on this one man
0: right and honestly as you talk through that it, they could have the most unique process with that because of the bonus pool structure. You're not one for one trading for the 10th overall pick you're trading for that slot value. And then how you choose to use that slot value is up to you. So if the Dodgers want to trade for the third overall pick gain, you know, five, $6 million in slot value, that doesn't mean they're going to spend all of that on that first pick that they have. Right. They could spread that throughout their draft, which is really unique specifically to baseball. So I, 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 I actually think that is um, yeah, that is super interesting on my wish list like, of
1: fixing sports. It's not it's high on my wish list. It's a top. it's a lottery pick for me in terms well, of well Mike,
0: we already sports. see we already see it with the international market too, yeah. right. I mean, just the Otani when Otani signed, that was an arms race of teams trying to acquire international cap space so that they could just simply throw the the ceiling offer at and the ceiling offer was very low because teams don't have a lot of international space. so they were, they were just all trading, you know, tra- all the teams were tra- that were interested were trying to get acquire as much international, um, you know, right. pool Why money. Why is it as legal there are. and
1: not with the amateur draft, right?
0: Right, and you would it, it would be si- a similar concept, I would think. But like we talk about with anything CBA related, um, oh it's probably God, too intertwined to really years down the road. Yeah, there's no question to really resolve it. So
1: that's all right. It's still on our wish list. All right, man. Appreciate this. We'll see how this all plays out in a couple of weeks here, and uh, we'll be back to talk about the midway point of Major League Baseball. We'll hand out some awards. We'll do some looking back at contracts that were signed. Not so good for Aaron Judge uh, out of the gate here and uh, we'll assess some trade candidates as well as we approach that August 1st deadline. Thanks,
0: man. Awesome. Thanks, Mike.